Masticators of the world unite. Yeah. Just slobbering. Masticate me, daddy. Indeed. Chomping at the bit. Well played. Well, on that fantastic note, when the rabbit bites its own head off, I want you to throw that toaster into the tub with me. It's a radio. I know. (laughs) (laughs) What? Take me to heaven, Grace Slick. I'm waiting. We built this city on massive volts. Ladies and germaphobes, boils and ghouls, gremlins of all ages, welcome to another insidious edition of this, the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. See, last pod right now. We're in in like ridiculous quantities, so time I crunch. I think that's a record. Take that, Dewan. Ha Boom. Indeed. <laughs> Boom Howard. Welcome back, Courtney. <laughs> Thank You're you. not the first member of this show to die and then be resurrected. You know, that is the miracle of this podcast. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you do, you always come back. Most certainly, <laughs> like Ra's al Ghul before us. You can just keep getting revivified. I was going to say, is that, a, is that a blessing or a curse? ¿Por qué no los dos? <laughs> True. <laughs> Indeed. Why not, chicken? <laughs> <laughs> ¿Por qué los pollos? Oh, Courtney, what's... What's that? Oh, she she has a letter from legal. Oh. Uh, oh, it says we can't attempt to speak Spanish because we don't know how. Oh, I'm I'm fluent in Spanish. Indeed. Go on. I did. <laughs> so in any event, what we typically do here as evidenced by the last 20 seconds is that we lie lots in case you are completely unfamiliar. We delve into random esoteric topics or sometimes languages. Uh, and in the course of explaining them or attempting to utilize them, we will lie just bald facedly. And it is delightful. But unfortunately for us, but fortunately for you, we do not allow you to leave disinformed. Oh, no, no, no. We will have a little denouement at the end of the episode where we explain what was lied about so that you can get all the good goods informations. None of the bad bads. Mm, good, good. The true, true. Indeed. True, true. Instead of the lie, lie. <laughs> oh, no. Not Damn. again. Wow, I missed this. It's Tuesday. Someone's going to freeze any second. I've so got I'm just... a fever of 103. Um... <laughs> Man, why you got to go journey on me? <laughs> Blind your eyes with double vision. Yeah. I got Guys. the, oh, I got oh, the yeah. foreigner belt over here. <laughs> what were you saying, Courtney? Oh, I didn't get to tell you my funny story last week. You did so... not. You were dead. <laughs> yeah. I was dead at the time. I was dead, and now I'm back. So here we go. Um. Jonah closes at work sometimes, and when he does, he gets to choose the music. And there happened to be a song on uh, by a band that's very familiar to at least two members of the podcast. Salt and Pepper. Michael, you've probably been to a few shows. They're called Damn the Weather. And, oh, okay, okay. And his coworker comes up and he goes, is this like a sad cover of the Goo Goo Dolls? And <laughs> Damn, I feel so seen. And <laughs> Jonah Not just wrong. looks at him and he goes... Wow, I'm going to hurt my friends with that information later. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> uh, you know, in point of fact, I am actually a card-carrying devotee of the Goo Goo Dolls. <sighs> I do actually have six of their records on my wall. So, yeah, that's not an insult for me. Yeah, uh, he was talking about vices, right? <sighs> he, he said, I think it was Nocturne, but I don't title. know. Oh, okay. anyway, because I always thought vices is like a dead iris ripoff before the chorus, but... Well, we don't want the world to see us anyway, I understand. (laughs) I love the TikTok trend right now where it's people singing the chorus of that song, uh, but like with their own fun affectations. I don't want the world to see (laughs) me. I haven't seen any of those. Wow, our TikTok feeds are finally different. Wow. It's not keyed Uh, in enough. I'm going to weigh in here just as an independent assessor, and I'm going to say Courtney has got much better taste in TikToks than John, because I have gotten recommendations from both. In Courtney's, I usually laugh, and I'm like, you know me so well. In John's, I, I watch them, and I go, how high were you 
<laughs> when you elected to send this shit to me because you know a a random so you, like so you you have been seeing the ones I've that seen I them. Yes, I, you'll you'll notice the the one that I hearted to say that I I thought <laughs> that one was good. Uh, the I, other twelve I couldn't care less about because the the Puerto Rican gentleman who was doing Limp Biscuits, uh, you know, break stuff. With a band behind him and him just salsa dancing in front of the screen uh, was not something I I needed in my life. I've really misjudged your character. <laughs> I do have no a question. counterpoint to you, Shane, because okay, Courtney sent well, me a TikTok reading a very very poorly written Trumper fanfic. So that was for you, Michael. I would never send that to Shane. He has taste. Oh, Thank you. Curates, yeah, point. So- I take back my statement. I just envision John, and John's going to be hope, presumably the one person to get this joke, because I just imagine him as like an Edward Nigma storming around a cell going, No! This isn't how this is supposed to go! Bang! <laughs> so. Um, well, just know that everything that I send you, Shane, I also send Courtney, and she likes... <sighs> Some of the things that I've sent her. Some. Well, she also <laughs> uses substances. So, I mean, like, I understand there's a kismet there. I, I'm straight through all of this. <laughs> I can't. He has to experience okay. it on all its glory. <laughs> I don't mean to pull the taffy longer than it needs to be, but... Oh, you totally do. You do. Have, do you have a least favorite TikTok that I've sent you? Like, <laughs> He's trying to like, cater to your taste now. So like many. Like, the one, like, like just, if, you get, if it's a flash, like... First reaction outside of the Limp Biscuit one, like the one that made you go, like, God, I just wish you would stop sending me these. <laughs> you know, you I, we have a better chance at me nailing down the one that I laughed at, which was the one with the cat that let itself into the food container. <laughs> yeah, that was it a couldn't good one. get its fat ass back out, and I was like, I cackled at that. So yeah, every other one, I rolled my eyes and went, God damn, I wish you'd just leave me alone. <laughs> I'm happy to be that guy for you. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that you're there for me. All right. Uh, and Michael, if you had any further, you know, runs of, of lambasting Courtney, I, I didn't mean to impede you. No, no, no. I, I, I said my piece. I said my piece. And okay. it was rescinded. So nothing further to say. <laughs> All right. I, uh, I almost rest. sent Michael one the other day that was a, like a stepdaughter beating her dad about not proposing to his girlfriend. Because that felt very much like something Michael might have endured. At any Pay point. Pay my rent. Actually, when I proposed to, I guess, her mother, my fiance. You um, guess? <laughs> Are you waiting for the Mori to come in? Or Yes, yes. Okay. Um, that is a Mori. She was bored yeah. the whole time. She's like, are, are we ready to go? Is are, are, are we done here? And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to get the courage. So just, just let me just let me do this. Man, jealousy is an odoriferous emanation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're my daddy who's not my daddy. <laughs> More like she's my mommy and she can't be yours. I, I Give mean... me milk milk. <laughs> <laughs> you do both need a mother and only one of you's getting it. Oh, so I get it. Gracious. Okay. <laughs> well, thinking of things Pure that have been... on your face. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, things that have been debased and deflowered by fathers everywhere. Our topic this week requires me to say that there is going to be a string of very necessary trigger warnings. So I'm just going to tell you up front, be ready for trigger. Okay? We have four lies for you this evening. But how many triggers, damn it? Where's the trigger? <laughs> I, I don't have a trigger count. I'll tell you by the time we get through the end of this, okay? I feel like we should start doing those for the more risque episodes. Be like, all right, I have five triggers. Uh, no. I can tell you that um, there is no trigger in the first paragraph, but we'll get here. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to start by offering my immense acknowledgement to a gentleman named Michael Hall, who is the author of a wonderful 2012 article from Texas Monthly, which I liberally lifted from to formulate this episode. I want to be sure that I give credit where it's due. I have liberally drizzled Shane dust over all of this because I do require alliterative prose in order for me to get into an episode. So obviously there is a lot of me here, but the structure and story I did very heavy handedly uh, lift from Mr. Hall. So here we go. The guitar 
a Martin N20 Classical, serial number 242830, was a gorgeous instrument with a warm, sweet tone and a pretty mellow yellow coloring. The top is made of Sitka spruce, which came from the Pacific Northwest. The back and sides were Brazilian rosewood. The fretwood and bridge were ebony from Africa, and the neck was mahogany from the Amazon basin. The brass tuning pegs came from Germany. All of these myriad components had been gathered in the Martin Guitar Factory in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and cut, bent, and glued together, then lacquered, buffed, and polished. If the guitar had been shipped to, say, New York or Chicago, it might have been purchased by a budding flamenco guitarist or a Segovia wannabe. But instead, this particular guitar was sent to a guitarist in Nashville named Shot Jackson, who repaired and sold guitars out of a shop near the Grand Old Opry. In 1969, it was purchased by a struggling country singer, a man whose primary possessions were a pig farm, a failing marriage, and a dismal record deal. And now, of course, a brand new guitar. At that moment, Willie Nelson's luck was changing. Forty-three years later, after some 10,000 shows, recording sessions, rehearsals, songwriting jaunts, notches, knocks, and drops, most cloyed by a haze of tobacco or reefer smoke and executed with a flurry of string-ringing, neck-jarring violence, the instrument looks like hammered hell. Okay? The frets are so worn that it is a wonder you can conjure any tone from a strummed chord. The face is covered in scars, cuts, and autographs etched into the once-elegant grains. Next to the bridge is a yawning maw, a secondary sound hole that actually looks like it was created by a fucking shotgun or Colonel Sanders liberally swinging a hammer. There is even a pair of sizable scorch marks which were caused, comically enough, by a combination of spilled liquor and an errant cherry from the end of a lit cigarette, which set the lower bout of the instrument alight in an unintentional Hendrix-esque inferno during a late 80s songwriting session. Was there actually a second sound hole? Yes, there is a second sound hole. If you have not seen Trigger, which we'll get around to Willie Nelson's famous guitar, it has got a giant open hole right to the right of the sound hole. Huh. Uh, and of course, Willie notes that the fire was extinguished with a beer, which just happened to fortuitously be sitting around at the time. So while many guitars are not worthy of the names they're bestowed upon by their owners, this one has most certainly earned its title. Reliable, durable, and trusty trigger. So there is your trigger warning. Oh, <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. That was a fucking troll and a half, man. Oh, man. <laughs> this glorious gut fiddle has got a voice and a personality and bears a bizarrely striking uh, resemblance to its owner. Willie's face is a topographical map of the miles he's traveled in his decades-long career, scoured by a thousand smiles, tokes, and belted notes. He's been bludgeoned by divorce, the IRS, the suicide of a son, and the loss of close friends like Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, and his longtime bassist B. Spears. Just in the course of the past decade, Willie has had carpal tunnel surgery on his left hand, torn a rotator cuff, and ruptured his bicep. So the man himself has much in common with his six-stringed constant companion. Wait, you can rupture your bicep? Uh, yes, you can. Most certainly. Huh. Yeah, it's not a pleasant experience. That's not bullshit. That is not bullshit, no. In fact, uh, you know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy famed Dave Bautista has blown a bicep previously. Was that during his wrestling wrestling days? uh, Took a a fall the wrong way and just completely popped it off of the... I mean, people do this with their quads. Uh, Famously, uh, promoter Vincent uh, K. McMahon tore both of his quads completely off of his bones while he was running to the ring at one point. So then he rolled into the ring and just laid there because he couldn't stand (laughs) up. So they had to whip him out of the the ring. And I said, stop the damn match. But uh, they, they kept on going. That that is okay. I don't mind if Vince McMahon kind of uh, you know suffers a little. No bit. No one does. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So, everybody good with me so far? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Triggers like me, Willie will say with a laugh on his lips, old and beat up. 
Nelson, the country songwriter, pop crooner, outlaw hero, marijuana scofflaw, and farmer's friend, is also, notably, a jazz musician. A really good jazz musician, it would stand. He improvises, plays what he feels, makes the occasional mistake, and plays some more, always coming back to the melody, buzzing around it like a bee. Some guitarists are very deliberate about every note. They handle their instruments as carefully as a landscape artist handles a brush. And Willie treats Trigger like a prosthetic limb. It's a necessary vessel through which to perform the feats that he's not innately capable of. Willie became the guitarist he is by playing this instrument, which he's worn and shaped with his own hands, working his very personality into the wood until it sounds like no other guitar on the planet. Most nylon-stringed guitars have a rich, warm tone, and they are difficult to distinguish from one another. Trigger, however, is remarkably distinctive. Low tones that rumble like a timpani, high notes that glitter like wind chimes, and sound that is immediately identifiable on a slew of stirring and soulful recordings that have shot straight to the soul of millions of loving listeners. Few guitars are as beloved or as famed. On Trigger's face, you can see a roadmap of modern music, the countless hours Willie has spent playing country, blues, jazz, rock and roll, rhythm and blues, swing, folk, reggae, 30s pop, 40s pop, and 80s pop. Trigger was there at the inception of Outlaw Country, through the first Farm Aid, and on to when Willie serenaded President Jimmy Carter. He has shared stage and studio with Ray Charles and Bob Dylan. He hung from Willie's neck at tens of thousands, as tens of thousands of fans sang along to Whiskey River. Sat in Willie's lap as Willie comforted friends, such as the time the two of them played Healing Hands of Time to Daryl and Edith Royal in their home after their daughter's death, and then again nine years later after their son's death. Without Willie, there would be no trigger. And it's only a slight exaggeration to say that without trigger, there might be no Willie. Willie likes to say that his guitar will probably wear out just about the same time he does. But instead of slowing down, as most people do when they spill into their ninth decade, Willie keeps doing the things he's been doing for years. And so does Trigger. The pair performed over 108 shows in 2019, and they're still sweeping across stages even now in a post-pandemic or current pandemic 2022. They'll make some more albums and write some more songs, no doubt. They'll play as if they're going to play forever. At this moment, I think it would be apt, and I don't think it's stealing anything if all of you are inclined, uh, rather than me sharing and taking up more time and speaking. You can look up a, a picture of Trigger, Willie Nelson's guitar. Easy for reference. Just to see the horrible, horrible nature of this thing, because it looks ghastly, but it still sounds delicious. And for those of you who are checking out, in the show notes, I've got a link to a couple of YouTube videos, specifically showing the luthier who maintains it yearly. And uh, a it's a marvelous process to behold. Yeah, it just looks like one giant Ooh. arm. Uh huh. And then those hole that the the hole that is just in the in the face of the thing right next to the it's sound hole. hole is a <laughs> mammoth. My hole. Yeah, that is a hole. Yes, Ooh, that's a so, hole. It's a hole. So now that you've all caught a glimpse of our our lovely protagonist for the episode here. We'll dive back in. But according to legend, Willie stumbled across his famous Martin guitar back in 1969 after his previous guitar had been knocked out of commission. He and his band were playing at the John T. Floor Country Store in Hilotes. Willie remembers, and at some point, he laid down his Baldwin acoustic guitar in its case on the stage. A drunk stepped on it, Willie says with little fanfare. He had a couple of his guys take the guitar back to Nashville and shot Jackson, as we alluded to earlier, whom Willie had known since they were friends in the early 60s. In actuality, Willie didn't care much for the guitar, which was an 800C electric classical, which had a rather thick, beefy neck. The instrument had been a promotional gift from Baldwin, which is a piano company, it's worth noting, uh, in 1968, along with a C1 amp. What Willie really relished was the sound he could get from the guitar's pickup, which is a revolutionary uh, Prismatone piezoelectronic model, which was made with six tiny ceramic sensors. 
So before the Prismatone, acoustic players like Willie just simply had to mount a microphone in front of the sound hole of the guitar and try to hover in the appropriate area to project out into the crowd, which meant their contributions with a band setting were usually just buried beneath a slurry of other amplified instruments. It kind of just relegated it to being part of the artist's aesthetic, really, rather than it producing much sound. But right. this pickup, however, allowed him to play in an acoustic guitar on stage with a band and actually be heard, hmm. uh, especially with the C1 amp which accompanied it, which was a solid-state piece of machinery that was designed by Baldwin's organ engineers to work with the Prismatone via a special stereo wiring system. I know this is boring for a lot of people, but John and I are like kids in a candy store right now with a bunch of this detail, so you'll oh, have yeah. to bear with us. No, no, no. I, I find that fascinating because I, I didn't even think that he would even consider doing an electric guitar. But if that is something like so that he could be heard because that was new technology at the time, it mm-hmm. makes sense that he would at the very least try it so he could be heard in a band. Because you're, you're right. Not a lot of acoustic guitars are really played with a band even nowadays mm. like you when you're doing an acoustic guitar it's usually like a solo set of sorts i mean it depends right? on the genre That's I, I mean you, a lot yeah. of country western acts and folk acts and things you'll see a lot of folks but the we've come a very long way from 1968 so yes. uh, we'll get into some of uh willie's case history here but it also somewhat speaks to how associated he is with trigger that you can't envision him playing an electric guitar because he yeah. did for quite some time huh. uh so we'll we'll run around that but in any event uh the amp had a brushed aluminum top and five colorful super sound tone buttons red lime green yellow blue and purple so this evokes the groovy 60s, right? Huh. Hear it, promised the Baldwin catalog, and you might think it's a happening. <laughs> Is that bullshit? It's not bullshit. <laughs> Welcome to it. the 60s, friends. <laughs> so, as Mr. Shot Jackson reported over the telephone, he couldn't salvage Willie's old guitar. Sadly, it was just too busted up. He did mention, however, that he had a Martin N20 on hand and could simply transfer the pickup out of the Baldwin into it. So Martin was the premier maker of steel-stringed guitars. The N20, which had been introduced the year before, was a nylon-stringed or gut-stringed guitar, an attempt by Martin to make inroads in the Spanish-style market. Usually that's for folks that play flamenco-style or finger-picking, things like that. So uh, Andre Segovia is somebody that's more commonly associated with it more than anything. But uh, we'll get into some of the reasons Willie Nelson likes it in a moment. Okay. So Willie liked gut... Well, in the immediate next sentence, apparently, Willie <laughs> liked gut string guitars well enough, but he was a little uncomfortable buying one over the telephone. So, is it good? He asked. Well, Martins are known for good guitars, Jackson responded. Willie then asked the price. $750, Jackson told him. Ooh. Well, I just, I just bought a roping horse for $750, <laughs> Willie recalled. <laughs> so I said, hmm, that's pretty cool. And so he bought it, sight unseen. So what <laughs> just do you imagine, mean, gut- uh, oh, I was going to say, imagine if he was offered to buy your guitar, Shane. Yeah, yeah, I mean, gladly let him take it. <laughs> if he was if he was shitting his pants over seven fifty, uh huh, yeah. Well, seven fifty in nineteen sixty nine money—that's like several thousand dollars nowadays. Yeah, it's it's roughly so, the same at this point. Yeah. Right. Um, Plus, he had say, to probably pay for the installation of the pickup as well, so I'm sure he got a little gouged on there. But you were saying, that's Michael? A fair point. Um, I was going to ask about gut strings. Is that a reference to old? Uh, where uh, old strings that uh-huh. were like coated in was it goat guts or something? Well, like no, they would actually or? take the guts and dry them out. Uh, this is ah, more commonly okay. associated with violins, uh, mm-hmm. which they would use for the strings there. But yes, uh, occasionally it was cat gut as well, yeah, which makes yeah, it yeah. even more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, yeah, so you would dry it out and uh, stretch it, and it would be able to carry a little resonance but these days it's it's all nylon thankfully yeah, yeah. so you don't have to worry about that we don't need PETA coming in here <laughs> plus yeah. that just doesn't sound delightful no i'm playing jerky over here <laughs> oh that just it's makes rib- me think of that episode of hannibal yes yeah oh. yeah 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 oh. well played love it that's what i was thinking about too 
very apropos. Was that was that an intentional statement when you said well played? When okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I very I intentioned, Michael. I haven't watched Hannibal, so I wouldn't know. That episode in particular is delightful just for how twitchy it is. Uh, mm. Yeah, it makes you feel a little bit disgusted. I like twitching. But it's very inventive. I'll say that. And it has a built-in sound hole. Mahalo. <laughs> so, to Michael's earlier point, Willie had played a slew of guitars in his life, starting with the Stella that his grandparents got him from Sears and Roebuck when he was six, and of course in love with singing uh, uh, cowboy tunes like Roy Rogers. Uh, Strings way high up off the neck and your fingers bleed when you learn to play, he remembers. He graduated to Gibson's when he was in the teenage lead guitarist for Bud Fletcher and the Texans. And he practiced by playing along with Ernest Tubb and Hank Williams songs he heard on the radio. I'd try to steal every riff I heard, he said. He loved to sing uh, Western Swing and the Tin Pan Alley pop music of the early 20th century, but also would sing along with Frank Sinatra, so the man's got some range. Pretty eclectic, yeah. Indeed. In his 20s, he played electric lead guitar with Dave Isbell and the Mission City Playboys from San Antonio. Is that a bullshit that name? That is not bullshit name. That is actually a band, which is interesting enough. And then somebody, either Johnny Gimble, a fiddler for Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, or Fort Worth guitarist Oliver English, Willie's not sure which, had introduced him to the music of Django Reinhardt, the Belgian gypsy who pioneered jazz guitar in Paris during the 30s. When I first heard Django, the Django, I realized <laughs> he was where a lot of things I had learned up to that point had come from, like Western Swing, Willie says. Hey, Johnny Gimble. The D is silent. <laughs> indeed. Johnny Gimble and all the other great fiddle players were jazz players and knew who Django was. All the guitar players knew who Django was. I liked the sound of his guitar, but I couldn't get it on whatever I was playing. So he searched high and low for the right guitar for this sound. When Willie lived in Houston in the late 50s, he played an Epiphone steel-stringed acoustic during the day when he taught guitar lessons, and then a Fender Stratocaster or Telecaster at night in the honky-tonks. But these guitars were just gear, something to play songs on. So when he arrived in Nashville in 1960, he played whatever came his way. Nylon-string guitars, steel-stringed Gibsons or Martins, and some electrics like Fender Jaguars, and a green Epiphone hollow body his wife Shirley bought him. He was even gifted a soap bar-colored hollow-body prototype from a Maryland-based master luthier named Paul Reed Smith in 1967, which was essentially a rebuilt Ibanez blazer with dual-coil pickups. And he used it for several shows before he gifted it to Waylon Jennings. Can I ask what the difference between nylon slash catgut and steel? Like, what does steel do for the sound? It's a lot more resonant, uh, the okay. sound doesn't die as immediately because, I mean, the gut has only so much vibration. The steel strings are kind of intended to vibrate a little more. So you get kind of a lighter tonality. Um, so sounds kind of tinnier, brighter, brighter sounding. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, gut tends to be a little more resonant, kind of a lower rumble sort of oh. sound. Um, and you like can have to take a shit, you know, like that kind of rumble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, nylon oh, now I understand. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. John. <laughs> yeah, that frequency of when you have to take a shit. Like, oh, this one isn't going to end well. I heard the frequency. I know I need to go now. Yeah, it's the brown note. <laughs> a primary thing that it latches onto for a lot of people as well is that nylon is less abrasive on your fingers. So it's actually easier oh, to play. So you can slide with it. And one of the reasons that classical players like it is that you can slide without getting that kind of whir on the string that you get on, you know, electric, or, or I should say, uh, metal strings, so. Yeah. But why, okay. why why won't you slide, Shane? Well, that's a good question. We should ask Johnny Resnick. Or maybe Robbie Takak instead. Well, if you do, you're going to clean it up. I'm going to have to. So, 
Willie would then play a Fender Jazzmaster at a show recorded in 1966 for the album Live Country Music Concert with Johnny Bush on drums and Wade Ray on bass. I note all of these things because John and I are both gearheads, and also this is a pretty interesting sort of perspective on the fact that Willie did, in fact, dance with everybody who was available in the room before finally settling on Trigger. So... The sad fact of the matter is that Willie rarely played on his Nashville records. Uh, after his initial success as a songwriter and a recording artist, he had signed in 1964 with RCA, which was intent on turning him into a country crooner. So Nashville artists generally weren't allowed to play on their own albums, nor were their road bands. So if you see any of the recordings of Willie at this time, it's sort of like those odd variety shows. I like the one that springs to mind, of course, is like Hee Haw, where all of a sudden in the middle of it, you just have a musical act. And it would be Willie in a suit holding one of those little stand microphones, you know, uh, and just sitting on a stool singing very rarely ever see him with a guitar. So he's gone through very interesting permutations as a performer, but he always really loved being able to just play his own music and wasn't quite keen on being Tom Jones Jr. Yeah. The economy of like that Tennessee musician culture is so mm -hmm. weird. It's yeah, literally, that... and even today it's still, it's still like that. I don't know if like those rules exist or whatever, but it's it's really interesting, particularly like if you get into the Sam Phillips of it all, like Sun Records just had like a house band that was kind of there. So you could have any number of artists that went through and part of the joys of going into the studio is you knew you had a backing band that was just kind of dyed in the wool. They'll do the chord changes for you and you're ready to go, much like a skit that John is very fond of. Or we can talk about Bones being their money. It was kind of that <laughs> setup. You would occasionally get groups that would float in that way, but part of Phillips perks of getting in there is like yeah 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 just pay us some money we'll get you some players and you can sing for us so uh, a lot of that was aesthetic uh and that's why you get a lot of similar songwriters at that time but i digress well, you have me talking politics indeed <laughs> i didn't mean to get country outlaw on you here but here we go so nashville artists of course uh being the normative here Willie made album after album that was very heavy on strings and breathy choruses. So by 1970, it was absolutely abjectly miserable. Uh, he hated the country music industry, was completely disgusted with it. He was going through all kinds of personal changes as well. Uh, he began reading the poems of Khalil Gibran. Good luck with he that on the went pronunciation. Through puberty as well, right? Uh, country puberty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jubity <laughs> jubity? <laughs> Voice yes. is cracking. <laughs> Country puberty. That's my next album. Uh, <laughs> and of course, the prophecies of Edgar Casey smoking just ungodly amounts of marijuana and, of course, growing his hair out. As you do. Filthy so, hippies. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> he started to get some big ideas about what he could do with his music. Ideas that would, of course, never translate in Nashville. Concept albums. Songs about spirit animals that he communed with in stoned was reveries. Concept album? Really? Yes, the concept album. What kind of stuff was he smoking where he has conversations with... A lot. With well, wait, so there's a list well, I've here. Seen, I've seen Sam when she's crossfaded. She's in a universe all of her own. Indeed, but no, he wanted I'm to go... I am doing it wrong. Fuck. Uh, so songs about spirit animals, a perfect god, castaways stranded on a desert island, and monologues about an imperfect man. Also same. Indeed. <laughs> Willie didn't know it yet, but he was becoming what we would call in the modern parlance an artist. An artiste. Pronounced, there we go. Indeed. <laughs> and all he needed was a spark. And no, not to the reefer that I was referring to oh, earlier. Damn it, I was thinking of that. And what he got was an inferno. In late 1970, Willie's house outside of Nashville actually burnt to the ground. Cause unknown. Well, you know, when God closes a door... He, he burns your house down. He, he makes he sure that it's closed by burning it down. He tries to take you with it, yes. <laughs> he lights your blunt? <laughs> Heard you hey, like could weed, I get a you light? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Heard you liked weed, you filthy hippie. Light your joints with this. You know, there's actually some discussion, not to get Joe Rogan on everybody here. Uh -oh. uh, sorry, Mom. Sorry, God. They're talking about, like, that. they're saying the burning bush is actually an instance that just caused an individual to hallucinate. Uh, because oh, it, 
yes. Okay. And so, okay. yeah, of course you saw God because you were just tripping balls. And I, I think I'm, I'm hoping it's not supposed to be like DMT or some brand of nonsense like this. But yes, I've heard him espouse this right. previously. But have you ever tried DMT? I have not. I have not gone on any <laughs> trips. I haven't even left this state in like three years. So, oh, oh cuck. Indeed. Sad. So. After Willie had God close a door on him, uh, he and his family lost nearly everything. Clothes, furniture, master recording tapes, which is a travesty if you actually Sick. like the music. But uh, the tragedy, of course, had a bizarrely purifying effect, which wiped out Willie's unhappy past in Music City and opened an array of options for his future. It gave him an excuse to get the hell out of Nashville, which I'm sure we all need from time to time, which he, of course, leapt at, to camping for the Great Plains of Texas. When he left, he took one of the few valuables that had been spared, the Sacrificial Flames, which is his brand new Martin guitar. So for the next few months, Willie settled into a house near Bandera while his Nashville home was being rebuilt. He sat around contemplating his future and playing this guitar. He hadn't named the instrument yet, that came much later, but for the first time, Willie had fallen in love with the sound of one of his instruments. When I first found that guitar and amp, I knew that was the sound I was trying to get, that Django sound. You're welcome, John. <laughs> Django had actually played a steel-stringed Selmer guitar, but to Willie, its mellow, plucky tone, which was a product of the tortoise-shell button Django used as a pick, which is very interesting, sounded like a gut string, much like Willie's new Martin. So Willie then returned to Nashville and played the guitar on several recordings. He used it on a solo on I'm a Memory from 1971's Willie Nelson and Family that is simple and lyrical with a show of force at the end that hints at something he wasn't quite yet ready to deliver. That is not my editorializing. That is Mr. Smith's. So good luck with that. Did you think he was actually ready to deliver? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, just like a you know big sausage pizza man. How does Fair one enough. approach the sunset, though? Stoned. Yeah. How does one deliver? <laughs> stoned. Also stoned. Okay. Yes. Yes. Ask me another question. Stoned. <laughs> stoned. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'll remember it. Hold on. What's the best way to die? Stoned. <laughs> Actually, I agree with that. I'm not a martyr. <laughs> so, uh Later that year, Willie found himself at a music industry guitar pull at the home of songwriter Harlan Howard. And that sounds very much like a bad Kevin Smith contrivance. Harlan Whoa. Howard. Yeah. Harlan. Harlan was uh, just, you know, chaining people in his basement waiting to turn them into walruses, I think. But I got him the ex-wife. Indeed, Mr. Harlan Howard. <laughs> Uh, Willie, however, did so not bad. get his turn until two in the morning. So as he sat on a stool holding his Martin in his lap, he played songs from Phases and Stages, which was a concept album he'd been working on that told both sides of a divorce. The party was almost over, half the crowd had actually gone, but Willie and his guitar turned the quiet to their advantage, making the spare song of longing and regret sound like the desolate poetry of love. When he finished, a bearded man walked up to Willie and introduced himself. It was Jerry Wexler, who had discovered and produced some of the greatest soul and R&B artists of the 60s. He was starting a country division at Atlantic Records, he said, and he wanted to release these songs. So Willie subsequently signed with Atlantic, which offered him the creative freedom he had desperately longed for. He then made an even bigger change. He wholly abandoned Nashville entirely and permanently relocated to Texas, technically to a ranch west of Austin. He then managed to officially come home. His first album for Atlantic was Shotgun Willie, and no, that is not an adult film, contrary to popular belief. I was going to say, uh, you should have told me that the trigger is actually that we're going to hear the word Willie more than any episode we've <laughs> ever had. We're not being sophomoric, John. Come on. More not, freshmen. Not again. Not again. <laughs> Never again. JV League, please. At least Varsity. You're only playing the home games, my friend. I'm sorry. You're Kyrie Irving right now. Uh, I don't understand the reference, but I get the point. Indeed. <laughs> and he does not. So, uh, <laughs> Willie and his guitar introduced themselves at the start of the first track on the record, the lazy, bluesy title track, 
Shotgun Willie. <laughs> Willie a riffed on his Martin throughout Shotgun Willie. Wow, there's a lot of Willie here. So mm. much, <laughs> I don't know how to get away from it. You, all I'm going to say, for me. <laughs> you can't beat Willie, John. I've said it for years. I'll continue to say it. Not with that attitude. So, uh, and then we get to uh, a bluesy solo in the middle, but of course, uh, a Whiskey River is another famed track on that record. And those two songs are the ones I really started changing on, Willie says, where I switched into blues more, kind of rock and blues stuff. The guitar, of course, led the way, guiding songs, lurching and pulling them along. The Martin, however, was already beginning to show signs of early wear. In 1974, Willie was the debut act on Austin, Austin, Austin City <laughs> Limits. <Austin's. laughs> Austin. 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 Ha ha ha. I am the French host of Austin City Limits. <laughs> Another Kevin Smith villain. Behold, we have a Willie Nelson on his trigger guitar. <laughs> so when you watch the episode now he and his guitar look impossibly young his beard is red his guitar's face is shiny and yellow but it's already got a small hole near the bridge the result of his pinky and ring finger digging into the wood as he played uh, when I saw the hole coming in there I didn't panic or anything he says growing up I played a guitar that had a big round hole hot indeed <laughs> I'd buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Consequently, he named that guitar Naya. So it's a beautiful thing. Damn near killed her. Indeed. <laughs> he played a lot of rock on it. I'll say that. In any event, on Whiskey River, you can see Willie's two lower fingers curling above the hole while he picks. The guitar, plugged into the Baldwin amp, sounds clear and earthy, and Willie plays standard country riffs while the band shuffles and swings. We'll leave a lot of this stuff on the cutting floor here. I should have trimmed some of this nonsense. <laughs> Long story short, I like it. too fucking late. The Martin made Mr. Nelson, I'll get away from some of this Willie, uh, feel as though he could do anything. Uh, he recorded phases and stages and then moved on to Red-Headed Stranger, which is a spare stripped-down masterpiece in which the man and his instrument are dependent on each other and even sound alike. I'm... Good God, this man wax is a bit too ethereal here. In any event, uh, in 1978, nearly a decade after Willie had bought the Martin, he made the biggest album of his career, one that sounded nothing like uh, anything he'd done previously. On Shotgun Willie and Redheaded Stranger, he was making his own kind of country music, but now he was ready to make his own kind of music, period. Stardust, a collection of ten pop standards, many of which Django himself had recorded, was the Tin Pan Alley jazz country pop synthesis he and his guitar had been leading each other to for years. Willie played effusively and elegantly in some places, forcefully in others, with a punchy percussive attack which he has now become somewhat famed for. He was creating the most ambitious music of his life and his goals were bigger than just selling records. The funny thing is, he was selling more records than ever. Stardust, his intimate self-portrait, would go on to sell more than 5 million copies. So, oh. <clears throat> indeed, very impressive. This man's got a long and storied career, and naturally, as we see, the guitar is kind of an integral part of it. And yeah, the guitar looks like a Dark Souls boss. <laughs> <laughs> Trigger of the Ethereal Valley. Just Why do I much. hear boss music? <laughs> yeah. Foggate. <laughs> Are you sure this is where you want to be? If I heard that walking into like a gate or something, I would turn around and run away because I would be terrified. Uh, it's still one of my favorite Willie songs. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, in any event. Nelson was becoming one of Nashville's best-known songwriters and a wealthy man. Having relocated to Texas, he earned a multitude of honors for his music and expanded his brand by appearing in films, including The Electric Horseman and Honeysuckle Rose. Honeysuckle Rose does not exist. That does, in fact, exist. I couldn't make that up if I tried. <laughs> 
His burgeoning empire, however, began to crumble almost as quickly as it manifested, albeit temporarily. Flash forward to November 9th, 1990, federal agents seized Nelson's properties in six states and assets which included boxes of master tapes, touring equipment, gold and platinum records, as well as clothes. I believe no asset too small is the credo etched into the revenue services masthead, but I digress. Okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> if yeah. they're going to steal your clothes, <laughs> apparently they'll go anywhere. The IRS, is that true? Did they really try and steal his clothes? Yes, they took his clothes. Okay, yeah. they, anything that they could lay siege to. So, naturally, the important thing is the IRS estimating a total tax debt of $32 million dollars so there's a lesson to you, Ooh. friends. Pay pay the tax man. What? <laughs> if you want to keep your clothes, please pay exactly. the tax man. Uh, I think he only escaped with his weed and his willy, so it's a good thing. But in any event. Wesley Snipes as well. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so the result, the singer said, uh, oh, they, so the $32 million, they alleged that much of his income was hidden in tax shelters. So, a result, the singer said, of mismanaged earnings and bad advice from his accountants. An accountant (laughs) that would lie? No. So, I'm a little incredulous at that. No. So, after seizing his assets, the IRS charged the entertainer with a debt of $16.7 million to be paid for back taxes. A whopping $10.2 million of which was in interest and penalties alone. So, they will find you. Uh, yeah, afraid Did that I... the door receipts from his shows would also be taken to satisfy the debt. Nelson just completely stopped doing live shows at this point. It's like, no, we're not we're not playing this game. Of course, of paramount importance at this point is Trigger, which was the primary concern of the beleaguered <laughs> songwriter, namely that they would steal it and auction it off to settle the debt as well. So Nelson at the time stated, when Trigger goes, I'll quit. Subsequently, sensing the looming noose being prepared for his six-string sidekick, Willie asked his daughter, Lana, to take the guitar from the studio before any agents arrived and abscond with it to Malibu. Which is, of course, where Willie was staying. Malibu. I'm sorry. I got a little Wesley Snipes. No, you can say it again. It's fine. Malibu. (laughs) Santa Monica. There. The Demolition fans in the room are going to be very... Uh, Demolition Man fans, I should say. Uh, very happy at that. But uh, so, to Malibu for safekeeping. Uh, Nelson then hid the instrument in his manager's home until his debt was paid in full. Because we're not fucking letting you anything but trigger. At the conclusion of these meetings, on February 2nd, 1993, 29 years ago, this... Well, last month when I wrote this, uh, Nelson and the IRS <laughs> settled the debt for $9 million, which is more than $3 million of which uh, had already been paid at that point. In an effort to wipe out the remainder of his debt, and this is where entrepreneurship here is just exquisite, <laughs> Nelson came up with the idea to compile a two-disc collection of acoustic renditions of some of his songs featuring Just Willie and Trigger, uh, to keep the recording costs as low as possible. The material on what was dubbed the IRS tapes. <laughs> the actual title Beautiful. is Who'll Buy My Memories <laughs> was released in 1992, which matched Nelson's somber mood in light of the situation. Does that uh, record exist? Yes, that record exists. Oh my God. Beautiful. I could see that being a, a lie that you would tell, though. You would. Also, this is like infomercial fodder to a T. Oh, yeah. Like, you can oh, see yeah. this thing is like you can get two discs i think i haven't seen infomercials in so long that i forgot just how prevalent they were when i was seeing them yes in particular i remember very vividly and i think this is where a lot of my fixation came from there used to be the stephen king book club which as of like a few months ago is now defunct uh and yeah i'm not gonna lambast mr king because i'm sure it had nothing to do with him but yeah they just didn't tell their members they're like by the way we just canceled it so you're not getting any more stuff no But I remembered back then they would send you like uh, a a weird collection of material. And I, oddly enough, own about 13 of these right now, which I have picked up from book sales at Melissa's library because someone brought in the whole Stephen King collection. (laughs) They're bound in different. They have all red spines. So you can tell which ones were the book club editions of them, which is a lot of fun. But I saw that constantly when I was a kid and they started you out with the stand. 
funnily enough. And of course, this is of the course. 90s when they did the re-release. So it's very vivid in my brain. So it's not <laughs> shocking that I'm fixated on some of these yes. things. But this is also where like Columbia House flies in. I have to look that up. <laughs> uh, on top King of the special. mailers. Yes, there will definitely be some uh, quick like two minute commercials for the Stephen King book club. As, uh, you know, oh, I'm subscribe. just looking at the images. <clears throat> yeah, they're fabulous. Oh, those, oh, those are so fucking cool. Yeah, I love them to death. Uh, I also have On Writing was in that set as well, which really? I have. Yes. So. I would highly recommend that book. It's on the wall. So uh, in any event, we'll get back to actual Willie. But yes, yeah, so uh, they sold a lot of this stuff through like late night infomercials. Just like you can get four cassettes or two compact discs for two easy payments of ninety seven ninety five. <laughs> Order now and we'll send you a free tape of Willie crying. <laughs> Now this Wait, is music. More. I want my buddy back. <laughs> oh yeah, because they have to while they're talking about it. He has to play a couple of like clips from the songs. It's mm-hmm. like listen to these pieces, such as, and then they'll list them all. And yeah, in a way, Patreon subscriptions hit me this in the, in the same way. Yeah, yeah, very similar. Huh. So. This LP, oh, well, some of the songs that it featured, since Michael was alluding to that, we'll cut to, <laughs> What Can You Do To Me Now? No, do it as an infomercial. You can get such strange classics as, What Can You Do To Me Now? And Permanently Lonely. And of course, that big Nelson classic. Remember the good times. And if you act now, we will send you Willie's actual tears on a small cravat that you can keep for your very own and a very lustrous case to be uh, displayed for all your friends and family. Call now. 1-800-466. The IRS <laughs> fucking sucks. You fucking suck. <laughs> all right. So the LP, which initially sold for nineteen ninety five via infomercial, God bless him, didn't sell as well as it could or should have, however, because Nelson was wearing a T-shirt during the TV spot with the wrong fucking phone number printed on it. <laughs> No. Is true? Is that true? true? Is that bullshit? The oh American government at its finest. They can't even do their own advertising. Oh, man. Uh, Beautiful. So a decade later, Nelson, who had already appeared in a TV ad for Taco Bell to cut down the tax bill, poked fun at the whole predicament in a hilarious commercial for tax preparers H&R Block. The spot, which aired during the 2003 Super Bowl, implied that he had pretty much resorted to doing just about whatever he could to reconcile his debts, including taking part in a commercial during which the bearded bard of country music, his face lathered in smoothie shaving cream, exclaims, My face is burning! <laughs> Now I have to watch that commercial. That just yeah. sounds like pure comedy gold. I'm more looking for the Taco Bell advertisement, which I feel like <laughs> that, that is a must-see if you've got Willie with tacos. it's How do you not love that? I personally try to keep Willie away from tacos. I, mm. I put my Willie into tacos constantly. I dip it too, yes. It's you never know what sauce you're going to get with that, unfortunately. But uh, mild, please. JV. I was referring to actual Taco Bell salsa packets, please. I just don't want Inferno or anywhere near Willie. That would be a problem. <laughs> probably a good choice. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that is a good choice. Indeed. So, the entire ordeal was not as, well, taxing, pardon the pun, uh, on the ironic <laughs> Texan as it could have been. Mentally, it was a breeze, he told Rolling Stone in 1995. They didn't bother me. They didn't come out and confiscate anything other than that first day. And they didn't show up at every gig demanding money. I appreciated that. And we teamed up and put out that record. So, attesting to the zen attitude that he adopted about it all, the t-shirt he wore on the LP cover, which of course featured Nelson in a black cowboy hat, summed up the situation nicely in two immortal words. Shit happens. No. Sure did. Really? Yep. Oh, that's great. And that, friends and neighbors, is what I have for you, because otherwise it's like we would take an inordinate amount of time, so I'm glad I timed this out uh, to my usual plum here to get an hour into this. But yeah, that is part one of the introduction to Willie Nelson's glorious friend, Trigger. And uh, next time we'll talk more about how some of the damage occurred 
to trigger over the course of years and about some very interesting anecdotal conversations about uh, possibly uh, choking Johnny Cash unconscious because he tried to take it in a fit of cocaine frenzy, which is a lot of fun. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued. Cash had some real interesting years. Let's just say that. But uh, so that's what we got for the time being. So... Any stabs for lies? I know there's. it's very text-heavy, so I somewhat expected that this might have gotten a little laborious, so thank you all for bearing with me. But I find oh, no, this great. fascinating. Yeah. Like, the guitar is so storied, and it has had such a very impactful lifespan with all the damage. And, I mean, you'll see there are, like, throngs of his friends who have actually just etched in their names to the guitar over years. So it looks like a kissing tree. Like, it's just (laughs) tattered. But uh, really fantastic. And the video of the luthier repairing it is well worth checking out. Because he actually has to go through and, like... That's the shit that interests me. It's phenomenal. And also, like, have you guys ever seen pictures of uh, the inside of acoustic instruments? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, like ones with, like, what is it? Like, violins. The bracing there's... brackets and yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I've seen pictures inside violins and everything like and, that. And, like, they get the, is... like, the cutesy lighting so it looks like a cathedral inside uh-huh. just, yeah, just with natural yeah. sunlight coming in. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, he has to use a lot of material to, one, keep. Uh, moisture in the wood because otherwise you know the drying out is what's going to cause it to crack and things so really cool videos definitely need to check them out because yes yeah, sure and also you'll appreciate this because i just had my frets redone on my acoustic guitar and they were only slightly sort of like divoted in the places where i typically push down on the strings and i tend to push hard because i'm a bad guitar player so same nelson's the trigger the frets are actually level to the neck like they're barely there. So when I'm saying that fretting is almost impossible, like I cannot fathom how they get sound out of it, but apparently they've got the tension dialed in just perfect so that, huh. you know, just through the machine heads and luck, they still manage to get sound out of this thing. <laughs> so the neck has to have bent in such a way as to keep enough tension there to allow you to get sounds out of it almost like, you know, a, a fretless bass or something. It's not fucking wild. Yeah, quite. So uh, we'll see whether or not I'm not going to just, you know, like unlike Michael here, I ask for permission. So if you all want a part two, we can move on to that. But otherwise, yeah, uh, Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Sit on that. You have my permission. Okay. well, Courtney's the one I was asking and you all just stepped right (laughs) over. Legal says it's fine. Oh, fabulous. All right. So back again. Uh, Anyone has some lies that you're interested in? Nah. I okay. have two stabs. Do it. So me first. The <laughs> and then Michael. Yes. Please. Or did you want to watch? Can I go Michael? first? <laughs> no, I, I want I want Michael to watch. Aww. Fine. Cucked by murder. Cucked by everything. Getting to the um uh the Tarantino of it all. Like no 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 hold on Daisy I want to watch. <laughs> um. The phone call where he said, I just bought a horse for the same price. Is that true? For reals, yes. Okay. That's a pretty nice horse. <laughs> I don't know how horse Easy, Mr. Hands, calm down. <laughs> That's a nice horse. Oh, I won't pet that horse so bad. I just won't touch it and cuddle it for days. Sorry, I don't know why I turned into Henry Zabrowski all of a second. No, we just know that we have to keep You're Michael away wrong. from animals. Indeed. You're um, not wrong. <laughs> my other stab <laughs> was, um, was the guitar really the only thing to survive the fire? Yes. Jeez. How I mean, did it survive? I, I, I it ask. was with him. I'm sure he oh, was okay. digging at the, the time. It's in the bed between him and That's, his wife. <laughs> he's like, one of you's got to go, and it ain't trigger. That's why the yeah. second sound hole's there. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does finger it more than his wife. That's a guarantee. But, uh... Okay. I watched it die. I'm in free speech jail again. Okay. (laughs) So here we are. Are y'all ready? Yes. Lie number one. Uh, You will note that I pointed you to look at a picture of the guitar after I had described it to you all for one very good reason. One, it does look like this is actually the case, but there are no burn marks on the front of the oh. guitar. Oh, 
God damn it, you're so, right. See, I would have believed I believed burn marks uh-huh. over the sound hole. Yes. The burn marks, I mean, it looks dark enough, but a lot of that is just sweat and grime and you know just years of uh, dust like stuff settles in and then it mixes so it's nasty but yeah no i made up that uh you know someone had an errant cherry from a cigarette fallout and set the thing on fire and they had to put it out with booze so uh yeah that is that's a shane thing ah number two as i scroll um I was waiting for John, and I John got a look when I said this, ah. so I was waiting to see whether or not he was going to spring. But um, he was not gifted a soap bar-colored hollow-body prototype from a luthier named Paul Reed that Smith. Did, that did strike me, and then I, I lost it. Uh-huh. Fuck. Well, you I mean, because, I mean, who sits in and researches Paul Reed Smith and when he started a business? But I will say, like Paul PRS, Reed Smith... like John Mayer. Uh. Uh, it's not that far off, though. Um, he started the company in 1985. And here's the shocker. So when I say that um, the guitar was a rebuilt Ibanez Blazer, that's yeah. actually true. Paul Reed Smith's first guitars were copies of Ibanez. You want to know when Ibanez was founded? 91. 1908. What? Can you believe that shit? I cannot. Damn. My brain was officially broken when I looked that up. I was like, how old is Ibanez if Paul Reed Smith is a mock-up? So a you're mock telling up. me that Gent... And prog metal has existed since 1908? Yes, Gentle yeah. Reinhardt was actually the founder of the movement. I don't know if you were familiar. And that prog is rock not actually led into jazz, if you, if you weren't aware. Mm, or jazz. Yes, jazz. <laughs> yes, yes. Huge yes. jazz, yeah. They were actually prog rock um, it, in, in their own individual bands before they got together for the uh, jazz band to go all the way back to episode one. So anyway, I was just sitting around one day and I just said, you know, boys, I'm going to play me a beautiful little song. Go something like this. <laughs> and then that was how I founded the moon. I'm Gent Go Reinhardt. It's beautiful. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. So that's lie number two. Uh, I was very, very tickled with that. And the other two, uh, you're going to get angry at me for. But uh, uh, so number lie. concept album. Yes. Songs about spirit animals that he communed with while he was stoned. No. God uh, songs damn it. about a perfect God. Yes. Songs about castaways stranded on a desert island. No. God, I was thinking Wilson. of that one too. Lost only <laughs> featured Willie Nelson's songs. Willie Nelson didn't write fucking songs about Lost. God so, damn it. I, I even sang you some of the song just to see if I could pull you over to the dark side, but nope, that's it. So those are my four lies. The rest of that is all just very wow. entertaining facts to me. So annoying oh, because I, I even said, what kind of shit was he smoking? You to did. I even was like, did he do peyote or anything like that? But uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't call it. And it, call you it. know, I I give myself a slight bit of credit. I'm not gonna you know break my arm, jerking oh, myself off here. But I should. knew the second I looked at that list, I was like, John's gonna go for concept album. I was like, he's gonna be like, <laughs> you you're fuck. just doing this to fucking punk at us, right? Yeah, because only like, weirdos fuck. make concept albums. I agree. Yes. <sighs> Simple sons of bitches. Mentally <laughs> unwell know. people. I'm yes. the weirdo. <laughs> I resemble that picture. I'm I'm the Eggman. Tag yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I am the weirdo. Cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> I'd like y'all to sit here and listen to my concept album. It's about a man who gets a job of his own volition and not his wife's inane chatter. And I'm Michael. <laughs> so speaking of Eggman, are you saying that in reference to the fact that Nicolas Cage said that he would like to reprise the old role of Eggman in a future Batman movie? I'm not, but I appreciate oh. your mind going there, friend. Yes, he has said recently within the last couple of days or so that because Batman is going to be, the most recent one is going to be at least a trilogy, mm-hmm. he would like to reprise an old Vincent Price role in the 60s Adam West Batman and become Eggman in a future movie. This also speaks to how fucking stoned out that Nicolas Cage is. If he watched that movie and thought, I'll reprise some random you know, bad pull from the 60s for this really dark well, Zodiac killer-based Batman man that we're well, we doing all, currently we yeah. all know that nicholas cage i don't think he's thinking that nicholas cage is just out there taking any gig right now to pay off his tax debt 
That's true. Indeed. He, well, he also has to buy another round of dinosaur bones from a museum because he does that. So wait, really? He he does. He buys the weirdest of stuff. That's he why does. he always takes the rolls. He also because he has no money. He bought Action Comics number one, obviously. That he has. Yes. Yes. He is a big comic book fan. I feel That's- like I feel like on like lawful good, you have Keanu Reeves, right? <laughs> okay. And then on Lawful Evil, Nicholas you Cage. have Nicolas Cage. Okay. Do you know, um, now I don't know how familiar you all are, are with the story that um, Nicolas Cage was going to be the Superman in the Kevin Smith yes. penned Superman yeah, 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 film, yeah. Superman Reborn. Yes. There's a really interesting picture that you can see online. Of that. There's a documentary about that film and it, it's debauched sort of ways of, to not being made. So yeah, you should go check that out. It's a lot of fun. Kevin talks about it pretty uh, lengthily and they have a lot of actual footage of Cage in the costume. It was supposed to glow. Which is really delightful, yes. So they had a bunch of very bizarre lights that they put into it. Very, very strange. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you all for uh, bearing with me. And then uh, perhaps next week we'll dive down into uh, Trigger Part 2, which is down in the hole, as I Mm. have uh, described it for our Alice in Chains fans and Nia Jax fans out there. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, ladies and germaphobes, thank you all for being here. It is always a delight for us, and we appreciate you coming back. And hopefully this new uh, format that we've got here is is treating you all wonderfully. Yes. I feel like I'm on like a three-second delay, or I'm just not funny today. There's a bit of both, I'm sure. Uh, I think I'm on a bit of a delay. I'm on a so. delay okay. for sure. So Wait, what did you just say? I didn't catch that. Uh, you, Michael. I quit. No, no, me first. What? Okay, well, you already started, so we'll just... Uh, you can't fire me, I quit. We're waiting for legal to get that severance package drafted up, so... I'm seeing a picture of a middle finger being pushed under my door, that's so co- I take that as a no. That's coked out Johnny Cash again. Sorry. Oh, man. Can't I got a helped. different letter. I wondered why I heard the snorting noises. Mine, mine says, mine says, you'll never see Craig again. I never wanted to see him in the first place. That's, yeah, that's a blessing. So you, you're you're good. You're He was Lee the asshole little kid in the neighborhood anyway. So yeah, no one's going to see him. Yeah. <laughs> that you were... As Canon states, running with your, without any pants, saying, hey, let me talk to you about something. No, so. you were chasing him and asking what kind of milk he drank. That's, yes. Yes, and then that's the a, joke. A terror from the sky picked him off and carried him away. Indeed. That was legal. Yeah. <laughs> that was legal. Legal. It's many talent and tentacled form that will come down and keep us in line. There's a reason why they only put messages under our doors because uh can't can't comprehend it. It's a uh, kind of Lovecraftian. Indeed, they're an establishment of malice. Mhm. There you go. It's so legal as a cat? <laughs> At my legal house it is, is. Legal is many things. Legal legal is 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 all. Listen, oh, we're not right. allowed to continue to talk about legal. Legal uh, is what you so- make of it. Legal at Michael's house is his kid. For John, it's Frank. <laughs> For Shane, it's cats. Yep. And yeah. you? It's a pug. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, for Courtney, it's her conscience, which I believe it's always best to let that be your guide. All righty, then. Crickets. <laughs> Jimmy crickets indeed thank you all right well thank you all for being here we appreciate it of course if you're digging what you're hearing as always like subscribe give us a little rate and review if you would be so inclined because we would love to hear from you you can check down in the show notes below we have got a link tree to all of our relevant information and of course you can find us on all your preferred podcast platforms every marvelous monday and over on the tubes of you an occasional wednesday or two whenever we get the inclination. When when we feel like it. Indeed. Damn you, Django. So, for the Disinformed Podcast, this week, I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. And zippity-zoop, we're out of here!